Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to read from the book of Revelation and Revelation chapter 6. You'll find our reading on page 1031 of the Pew Bibles. Re- Revelation is the last book of the Bible, comes right at the end, and we're going to read chapter 6 together this morning, and then later in our service, uh, we're going to think about this passage together. So Revelation chapter 6. It's page 1031 of our Pew Bibles. And as we read Revelation 6 together, we remember that this is the word of the everlasting God. So Revelation chapter 6, reading the whole chapter together, this is God's word to us. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, and the generals and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 6. You'll find that passage on page 1031 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning that passage up, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we realize that it is a living word, a word that is living and active 
and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we pray that as we open your word together for a few, minute, few, few moments now, we pray that you would speak clearly to us, that you would help us to understand why we are the way we are and why our world is the way it is. But help us also to realize that we must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. It's important to remember. We make a point of remembering important things and not so important things. So we remember birthdays. We remember anniversaries, both happy and sad. We remember special occasions. We remember days when we danced and days when we cried. We remember to put the bins out. We remember to empty the dishwasher. We remember holidays. We remember to reply to a WhatsApp or a text message. We remember church services and moments in our spiritual formation and journey. We remember people, people we knew and loved who, who are no longer with us. We remember moments with them, moments we'll, we'll cherish and we'll never forget. We, we remember, as we have done this morning, people we, we never knew, but people who gave their lives for our freedom. And that is very important to remember that our nation is built on hundreds, if not thousands of years of history, and that at specific moments in our nation's history, there, have been significant, there has been significant sacrifice for the good of others. But what if in remembering, we forget what's important? Well, what if in remembering, we turn something or someone into something they were never meant to be? Well, what if our remembrance turns into something of a devotion, a devotion that is only meant for God. It's important to remember, but we need to remember what's important. And what is of infinite, eternal, and unchangeable importance is that God has spoken to us in his word and by his son, the Lord Jesus. And in his word, the Lord tells us that it is important, vital, crucial, essential, that we turn to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith. Ultimately, when all is said and done and the history of this world comes to a close, what we have done with Jesus will be the only thing that matters. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at Revelation 6. This morning, we're going to remember what's important from God's perspective. What Revelation 6 does, as well as reminding us of our need to trust in Jesus, is that it tells us that we live in a broken world and that we can expect to experience different things. Let, let, let me explain. When you, when you turn on your television and you see war and famine and economic crises and death, you, you might think to yourself, the, the, the world is so bad at the moment. It's so messed up. It wasn't like that when I was growing up. What Revelation 6 tells us is that war and famine and economic crises and death are things that will happen again and again and again until the Lord Jesus returns. And in light of that, this chapter tells us what's important to remember from God's perspective. Before we look at Revelation 6 together, let me say a word or two about the book generally. Revelation is one of those books that we normally keep shut, and that's because it either scares us or we think, I will never be able to understand it. There's no doubt that it's a complicated book and some of the pictures in it are difficult to interpret. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wanted it taken out of the Bible altogether. 
But, but at heart, Revelation is just a book of pictures. There are dragons and serpents and bowls and angels and seals and beasts. And there's a lamb. And the lamb is the key to the whole book. The, the, the lamb is the key to the whole Bible, in fact. Re- Revelation tells us in a dramatic and vivid way that the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, wins. Believe it or not, Revelation is actually quite a repetitive book. There are lots of different pictures, but ultimately they all point in one direction. Jesus wins, and as well as that, God is in control. Revelation 6 comes after Revelation 4 and 5. That seems obvious, but it's important that we make a mental note of that. In the previous chapters, we have a, a magnificent vision of God on his throne and the Lamb with him. There's a problem in Revelation, you might remember. The Apostle John weeps because he thought that there was no one able to open the scroll. But the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, was. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and said, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 6 tells us what happens when the Lamb opens the scroll that's mentioned in Revelation 5. What does it reveal? What do the seals reveal? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning. As we unpack these seals, we're going to be reminded that we live in a broken world and we should expect certain things always to happen and always to be around. And we're also going to be reminded of what's important, vital, crucial and essential that we must turn to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith. Here's what we're going to think about this morning. Revelation 6 shows us three things. It shows us why the world is the way it is. It shows us why Christians suffer the way they do. And it shows us why repentance is our only option. Let's take each of those points in turn. First of all, Revelation 6 shows us why the world is the way it is. As chapters of the Bible go, this one is a pretty famous one. Revelation 6 is the chapter where the four horsemen of the apocalypse are mentioned. You've maybe heard of them before. As the Lamb begins to open the seals, John sees the result. The result for the world of God's judgment on human sin. Right from the beginning of the Bible, this judgment is presented as a curse. In Revelation 6, colored horses with terrifying riders appear in response to a call from each of the four living creatures. The colors of the horses and the emblems on the riders are symbolic and tell us what each judgment is. The first seal is open in verses 1 and 2. Look at what it says. We're told, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. The white horse and crown symbolize conquest and victory, but it's the victory of human kingdoms. Some people identify the rider on the white horse as Jesus, but it's not. The other three riders are destructive and Jesus isn't like that. What the first horse, the the, the white horse and the crown represent is military conquest on the earth. Human history is the story of, of conquerors and conquests. Rulers and emperors, kings and queens, presidents and prime ministers have conquered countries throughout history. And this is one of the judgments of God on human sin. The the second seal is open in verse 4, and it has similarities to the first. 
we read, And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. The, the, red, horse, the, the red horse and sword symbolize strife and warfare. It's pointing to the wars of the nation, not the, not the spiritual warfare that Christians experience. And again, this is another judgment of God, war and conflict. It's being played out on our television screens at the moment in Ukraine. It's not easy to watch and see, but it's what we should expect in our world. Jesus said that there will always be wars and rumors of war. The third seal is the black horse and scales. Look at what it says in verses five and six. And I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice of, in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. This horse and the scales represent famine and shortages, but at the same time, luxuries like oil and wine remain. These words depict economic collapse so that people can barely afford the necessities of life. Does that sound familiar? It spoke to the first recipients of Revelation because there was a severe famine in AD 92. But we're living in days of economic turbulence. The poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer. Jesus mentioned famine too. After he mentioned wars and rumors of wars, he said, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. It's good for us to try and alleviate poverty, but Revelation 6 tells us that, that famines and, and food shortages will be littered through the history of the world. The fourth seal comes in verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. The, the word for pale literally means greenish-gray. This horse is the most terrible yet and includes many of the previous three features. This pale or, or greenish-gray horse, which is followed by death in Hades, symbolizes death and decay. And we're told of the many ways in which those things come, the sword, famine, pestilence, and by wild beasts. We can read about events and periods from history when, when death and decay have come in significant ways, we, we can see those being played out in our own time. But these verses explain to us why the world is the way it is. Revelation 6 reminds us that we live in a broken world and that we can expe expect to experience all of these different things. The, the, the root reason for all of the things that we've mentioned is sin. Our world is, is fundamentally broken because of sin. It's a broken world that is under judgment. It doesn't occur to people today that that God is actively judging the world in the calamities we, we experience and see. We need to avoid declaring particular events to represent God's judgment on particular people. We can't be that specific. We don't know the mind of God. But the opening of these seals remind us that God will not tolerate sin and rebellion. And this is why the world is the way it is. There is something else we should note before we move on, and it's, it's the power the writers hear, the power that the writers have. Notice that it's given to them. The word given is used in verses 2, 4, and 8. The power the writers have is not, not something they have in and of themselves. They come out of the command of the four living creatures around the throne of God. 
the same four living creatures who previously worshipped the Lamb. And the implication is that the world's disasters are ultimately under God's control. However puzzling it may seem to us, God is ultimately in control. So when you turn on your TV and you're shaking your head and you're saying, the world is so bad at the moment, you need to remember that God is in control. Jesus is the one breaking the seals. The sufferings of the world in our time and through all time are the first and foremost consequences of God's judgment of sin. That's why the world is the way it is. The second thing Revelation 6 shows us is why Christians suffer the way they do. Why the world is the way it is and why Christians suffer the way they do. We read about a fifth seal in verses 9 to 11. In verse 9, there's mention of an altar, and this is the first time that John mentions an altar in Revelation. Under the altar, he sees the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These souls represent persecuted Christians, epitomized by those who had been killed for their faith. These verses speak of all of God's people who have been slain for their faithfulness. And the point of verses 9 to 11 is that there's an element of suffering which is general to the world and includes Christians, but there's also an element of suffering which is specific to God's people. We know this to be true, of course. It has become more and more difficult to be an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian in Northern Ireland in the past 10 years. Culture is closing in on us. Christians are, are being pushed to the margins. For a long time, we were considered to be irrelevant, but now culture sees us as dangerous. And that's because we won't bow the knee to the idols of our day. The, the, the words of the saints in verse 10 convey a sense of impatient waiting for God to judge those who dwell on the earth and to avenge their blood. This isn't a desire for personal revenge. It's a desire for the vindication of the gospel for which they had died. Like people who aren't Christians, Believers are driven to ask God why he permits suffering to continue in this world. But the answer in both cases is the same. It comes in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The second half of that verse is a remarkable statement about the sovereignty of God in history. He not only controls the timing of the judgment, but he does so in order that the full number of saints may be brought into his kingdom. It also tells us that the experience of the church in a world under judgment will be one of suffering. Our normal experience in this world is one of difficulty. We shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes our way. It's often the experience of Christians to suffer more during times of war. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an evangelical German pastor and theologian who was involved in resisting the Nazis, mainly by helping and rescuing Jews. He opposed Hitler and his actions and knew of conspiracies to overthrow him, but was never at the center of any, of any plans. Eventually, Bonhoeffer's resistance was uncovered. In April 1943, two men arrived in a black Mercedes, put Bonhoeffer in the car and drove him to a prison. In April 1945, two years later, and a month before Germany surrendered, Bonhoeffer was executed. A decade later, a doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's execution described what happened. And this is what he said. He said, the prisoners were taken from their cells 
and the verdicts of the court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one of the room huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. He shouldn't have died. He shouldn't have been executed. But it's often the experience of Christians to suffer more during times of war. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer is just one example. There's an element of suffering which is general to the world and includes Christians, war and famine and economic crises and death. But there's also another element of suffering which is specific to God's people. Saying that you follow Jesus. Saying that because you follow Jesus, you won't do something or won't agree to something or won't promote something. It isn't fair that Christians are treated badly, spoken down to, pushed to the margins. It isn't fair. It isn't nice. We'd rather that it wasn't like this. But Christians suffer because we live in a world marred by sin. And sin leads people to reject God and to reject his people. The experience of the church in a world under judgment will be one of suffering. Revelation 6 explains why Christians suffer the way they do. It's worth saying that these souls that John sees are given white robes as a sign of victory and cleansing from sin. Though we may suffer for the name of Christ, we can rest assured that he is in control and we are safe in him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story is tragic yet beautiful at the same time. He went to the gallows unfairly and unjustly, but submissively, because he knew that the lamb had won and that ultimately Hitler had lost. Revelation 6 explains why the world is the way it is and why Christians suffer the way we do. The third and final thing it shows us is why repentance is our only option. Why repentance is our only option. The, 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 the sixth seal is opened in verses 12 to 17. The, the, the phenomena that are described in these verses are associated in other parts of the Bible with the end of the world. That, that, that's what's in view here, the, the end of all things. Verses 1 to 11 speak of what life on earth will be like between the resurrection of Jesus and his second coming. But verses 12 to 17 speak about what will happen immediately before the end. Now there's mystery in these verses and we don't really have time to go into them in much detail. But it's easier to ask the wrong question than the right one. We want to ask, when will all of this happen? But Jesus is actually more interested answering, in answering the why and what questions. What's clear, especially from verses 15 to 17, is that this seal is concerned with the great day of the wrath of God and, and of the Lamb. The, the mention of seven types of people in verse 15 suggests complete judgment. No one will escape the judgment of God. It says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. People of all types recognize that the judgment of God is coming. They finally come to the point of, of fearing judgment, 
but with terror rather than with repentance. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they can only think of fleeing and hiding to avoid exposure and punishment. The mention of an earthquake indicates that God is coming and that the very foundations of creation respond to his presence. You see that in other parts of the Bible. Revelation 6 has connections to Exodus 19, Isaiah 29, and Matthew 27. Objects that have symbolized permanence for centuries, mountains and islands are removed from their places. Phenomena in the heavens indicate the shaking of the old order of creation in in preparation for the coming of the new creation. Mankind mankind cries out, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? The question that's asked in verse 17 is a good one. Dismayed mankind cries out, who can stand? Who who can stand before, before the holy God of this universe? The answer actually comes in the next chapter. Revelation 7 shows the redeemed in heaven, those who have believed the gospel and who have been delivered from the wrath to come, that they can stand. But those who don't, those who don't trust in Jesus are completely exposed. It's important to remember, but what if in remembering we forget what's important? As we sit with Revelation 6 open in front of us this morning, we need to remember what's important from God's perspective. Revelation 6 tells us, it gives us important, vital, crucial, essential truth that we, that, that you cannot ignore. It tells us why the world is the way it is. Sin is the cause of all things bad, of all things evil, of all things unjust. Our world is under judgment because of what we have done. Revelation 6 also tells us why Christians suffer the way they do. There's an element of suffering which is general to the world and includes Christians, war, famine, economic crises, death. But there's also another element of suffering which is specific to God's people, saying that you'll follow Jesus above anything or anyone else. And in light of those things, Revelation 6 shows us why repentance is our only option. This world will come to an end one day, but on that day, just like other days, people will hide in fear, but not respond in faith. That's the striking thing about verse 17. The cry of mankind, the cry of people all over the world is, I would rather take my chances and hide from God. People have said that throughout history. This morning, are you hiding in fear rather than responding in faith? Repentance is our only option. It's the only way for us to be right with God. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus called people to repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is the news that Jesus has died for our sins on the cross and that he has defeated death by rising again. In light of all that we've thought about, it's clear that trusting in Jesus is our only option. It's it's your only option. And in telling us about the judgment to come, this chapter, points us, this, this chapter points us to the way that we can pass through that judgment by trusting in the Lamb who has died and who is worthy to open the seals. Where do you stand before God this morning? It's important to remember, but we need to remember what's important. Revelation 6 tells us what's important to remember from God's perspective. In Revelation 6, the Lord tells us that it's important 
vital, crucial, essential, that we turn to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith. Ultimately, when all is said and done, and the history of this world comes to a close, what we've done with Jesus will be the only thing that matters. Revelation 6 shows us why the world is the way it is, why Christians suffer the way they do, and why repentance is our only option. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it is a realistic word in that it gives us a picture of of what life will be like in this broken world. Father, we pray that we would turn to the Lord Jesus in these days, that we would rely on him, that we would trust in him, that we would turn to him in repentance and faith. We pray for those who haven't yet trusted in the Savior. We pray that you might be working by your spirit to convict them of their sin today and to bring them to the point of trusting in Christ for the first time. Father, bless your word to all of our hearts this day, for we ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen.